from Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome to another special episode of Hollywood Unscripted, Stuck at Home. I'm your host, Jenny Curtis, and today we are virtually sitting down with Jim Sturgis from Across the Universe, 21, Cloud Atlas, and now Home Before Dark. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, well, thanks for having me. Thank you. It's nice to hang out with someone on lockdown. It's nice (laughs) to see a new place. Exactly. We're called Stuck at Home in this special because in quarantine, most of us are stuck at home. Yeah. But you're actually stuck pretty far from home, aren't you? Yeah, it's been a bit of a wild one because, yeah, we started shooting the second season of Home Before Dark. So we were all geared up, ready to go. We were probably about three episodes in. And then suddenly we got an announcement that it was all going to get shut down and we were put on hiatus and that to sort of hang back. And I wasn't able to get back to the UK because all the borders got shut. And I think it was going to be even harder for me to get back if we were able to put production back together again. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of sitting here in a one bedroom apartment on the 32nd floor in Vancouver right now. Which sounds way worse than it is. I have these amazing <laughs> views, actually. I'm looking out, because I'm, I'm on the 32nd floor, I have these amazing views of, of Vancouver, so that's keeping me going. But your wife was able to come join you, or she was already there? He was here. She nearly left to go back to London because she had to go and do something for work, and she didn't end up going, and it was about four days later that we got shut down. So if she'd have left and had gone back, then I would have been here on my own, which would have been a whole other... A whole nother hard time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do, because I have some friends back in London and people that I know that are on their own and that they don't have partners or family to sort of spend this time with. So it's a very different situation, I think, when you're on your own. Yeah. I heard you started quarantine by creating a ping pong table out of your dining room table. Yeah, I was just sort of sizing, because it's not a very big place, so I was just sizing up the environment and I thought, okay, one thing we could do is get some ping pong bats. And we turned the table into a ping pong table, which has been a lifesaver, I've got to say. I mean, anytime you need to just expel a bit of energy, we just hit the ping pong table. That was probably week one that you decided to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're getting good. I can tell you <laughs> that, you know, our skills are improving. <laughs> so let's talk about Home Before Dark. Yeah. This is an amazing series from Apple TV+, and it's about a nine-year-old investigative reporter named Hildy Lisko, and you are her father, Matt Lisko, and there is actually a nine-year-old reporter who is now older named Hildy Lysiak. And so this story is based on her uncovering a murder in her hometown. Now, your show has a fictional murder, but it's more or less based in fact. Yeah, I mean, the real Hildy did, in fact, uncover a cold case and a murder case and all that stuff was true. And then, of course, the writers, because it's a 10-episodic sort of story, you know, they sort of feed some fiction into that and and create a new family. You know, the, the dynamics are all... Every single member of the family is represented in the show. So there's an older sister, there's a younger sister, there's a mom, a dad... You know, so it's really about their lives, moving back to the small town to which my character grew up. And all that stuff was true as well. So a lot of the relationships and the sort of core of the story is very much based on a real family in real life. And you were able to meet both Matt and Hildy. And I know you learned from watching them together. And so you really learned about the relationship. Did you take any characteristics of Matt into your own? I didn't really. It was more, I mean, I was encouraged to just sort of make the character my own. And we were encouraged to sort of make the family its own dynamic and make that feel real for us, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think was more important than making sure we got everybody's mannerisms down and we dressed the same or had the same kind of hair. But it was much more about 
the relationships that they have as a family, you know, rather than getting bogged down with the, the other sort of details. It was about making it real for us, but making sure we represented the relationships and the dynamics in the family, particularly Matt and Hildy's relationship, which is a really special father-daughter relationship that is very real in real life. And, and to see those guys interact with each other. So Hildy's basically an aspiring investigative journalist and her dad is a real investigative journalist. And so, you know, she's completely influenced by the force of her father. So they're a sort of mirror image of each other. And it was really interesting to sort of watch them just be together and hang out and joke and laugh and tell each other off and get annoyed with each other, just like any father-daughter relationship. But but yeah, it felt like it was a very special one to kind of capture. Now, the Hildy in Home Before Dark is played by Brooklyn Prince, who is just a ball of talent in a young actress. She is insanely <laughs> good. something else. I mean, when I watched it too, and I was there, we were having a front row seat, you know, watching the whole performance and watching her grow as an actress. But then when you see it all on screen and you really see all the detail that goes into her performance, it's, it's quite amazing. And you guys met at a chemistry read ahead of time. Yeah. Did you have time to develop the relationship after that before day one on set? No, we didn't. We didn't. We sort of spent quite a lot of time together in this workshop environment that they created because they really wanted to make sure that, you know, the dynamic was going to work between the two actors who were playing the characters. And Brooklyn had already been cast. So it was really my audition with her. She she had the part. She was all good to go. So, uh, yeah, it was really about me sort of getting in the room and just seeing what that chemistry would feel like and what that dynamic would come out as. And yeah, it was quite intimidating, actually, sort of doing a screen test with a with an eight-year-old child because they're so brutally honest, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can tell quite quickly when a child doesn't like you or isn't connecting with you. So, yeah, adults are much better at covering that stuff up. I knew that I it had to sort of be real and we really had to sort of connect on, at, at that time. But, yeah, we spent quite a lot of time. John Chu was amazing. He did a lot of games with us and a lot of improv stuff. And John Chu directed the first two episodes. He also executive That's produced right. the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was great that he was sort of running the workshop, as it were, and sort of getting us having fun and just enjoying the day. And then we didn't see each other again until the read-through. And then we started rehearsals and then we started shooting. You guys have such a close bond. Do you now feel kind of paternal toward her? Are you guys friends? Or what is that relationship outside of your characters? I don't know what we are. Yeah, we're kind of best mates. <laughs> you know, we're sort of good, good friends. And then sometimes I have to pretend to be her dad. Most of the time she's telling me off, you know what I mean? And then helping me out. Yeah, it was her birthday yesterday, actually. So it was really amazing just to sort of see her. It was so sweet. They came to the car park where I live and we sort of waved at each other that she didn't come out of the car and I sort of handed her a present through the window (laughs) it was all very emotional and dramatic but yeah I mean it's been one of those things that just gets richer and better and and we just get closer and closer as we sort of spend more and more time together. I know with my niece and nephew they bring out the playful side of whoever they're around yeah how has that affected your acting, working with kids? One thing it does, exactly like you said, it brings a sort of joyfulness to the set and everybody's on board with that. There's quite a few other kids in the show as well. And it's just about making sure that they're having a really good time and that it's a really memorable experience for them. And that, you know, it's not just another day at work. It is a special thing that they're all going through right now, making the show together and with us. And yeah, and it's keeping that balance of sort of working really hard, which you have to on a film set to sort of get the project made and making sure that we're all having a good time as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But it reminds you of the of the special nature of making a film, you know. It, it reminds you, you sort of put yourself in their shoes and, and sort of see it through their young eyes again, and it, and it really sort of enlifts and invigorates kind of everybody on the set. 
But these kids are amazing. They work so hard, you know, they work so hard and they're so brilliant and they're so committed. I just, I mean, all of them every day, honestly. And they're so funny and their comedy timing is just amazing. And they're so capable of being really emotional and sort of to dig really deep. And you can have nothing but sort of respect and admiration for them just as actors. And then you have to go to school, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like... Oh, just, you know, they're all really special and it's amazing to be with all of them. Has there been any time on set that really surprised you and how much they are real actors? I think, yeah, one of the first scenes that me and Brooklyn had to do was when I really kind of shout at her and she really kind of takes that in and, and it's quite an emotional scene for Brooklyn and well, for both of us. And, you know, we'd, we'd done it a few times in rehearsals and we all sort of understood what we were doing and, and it was very early on in the process and I sort of snapped at Brooklyn in the in the scene and I just saw it hit her emotionally, you know, in such a raw and real way where she absolutely understood everything about her character and what her character was feeling and going through that I really knew and understood then that it wasn't about sort of tricks and trying to make the young kids cry. And she was in it as an actress, as the character, you know, if not better than other actors that I've worked with. And I was like, she really understands what, what we're doing, you know. Do you shoot these same scenes over and over and over again? Or with kids, is it kind of one and done, try and get them on the first time because they're not used to repeating? Yeah. I mean, there's always a level of respect of just sort of how much to do that with. But I mean, with any film, you're going to have to do it more than once. You know, it's pretty rare that you just get one shot at doing it. But but again, it's like they're, they're so sort of aware of what's happening and what they're doing and what their job is within the environment that it never felt like you were manipulating them or just trying to get them to create a reaction it was it was far more sort of superior than that mm. you know do you guys shoot chronologically no well we do we it, we shoot usually about two episodes at a time we're sort of along for the ride with the rest of the audience because they don't tell you what's going to happen next either, which is a new experience for me. You know, I haven't done a huge amount of television, so I quite enjoy learning about the character and the story as an audience member almost. Technically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we sort of made a deal with the producers. We said, you know, if there's any secrets or if there's anything that I would need to know, anything that's happened in the past that might inform what's happening in the scenes, then you have to kind of let us know. That's only fair. But other than that, like, just bring it on. Hit it with with us as we go, you know. So there are moments of animation in it? Yeah. Can you explain to us the meaning behind that? Yeah, in the script, it was really kind of just described as Hildy has these sort of visions and it sort of became known as kind of Hildy vision and no one quite knew what that was going to look like or what that was going to be. But it's kind of as she starts to sort of piece or imagine certain things that may or may not have happened. And so they did a beautiful job. I mean, that was one of the things I was, it was breathtaking, the animation that they put into her sort of piecing things together. And you go on this little animated trip of what may or may not have occurred. Mm -hmm. And just the way that they do it with collage and animation and illustration. And it's really quite beautiful to watch. The whole series is very cinematic, as was the previous television series you did, Hard Sun. Yeah. They're two very different versions of Dark. So yeah. Home Before Dark <laughs> is kind of a great gritty family show and yeah. hard sun is just dark <laughs> yeah, yeah it's about you can't get much dark yeah yeah <laughs> i remember as well when we were shooting hard sun because it was quite a tough shoot it was you know i was usually getting tortured or beaten up or someone was interrogating me or i was sort of dealing with the end of the world which is what the show kind of looked into but I remember really specifically, and I think it sort of fed into why I was so interested in playing Matt Lisko in Home Before Dark, because I remember in Hard Sun, I had a family in the show, and I had scenes with my wife and my daughter in that. 
And I remember really looking forward to those days on set. I just remember thinking, oh, good, it's a day where I'm just at home with the family. And I loved working with the young actress that was playing my daughter in that show. And I just remember really enjoying those moments. So then this was the next project that came along. And it was like, OK, now you're going to play a dad. And, it, and the forefront of the relationship with the daughter is now right at the front of the story. So it definitely kind of played into that, I think. Family is a huge theme in Home Before Dark, not only your relationship with your daughters, but your relationship with your father. Yeah. Hildy basically teaches Matt how to have a relationship with his own father. Yeah. And I thought that was a really beautiful progression. Yeah, it was. It was that they've done such a great job of the sort of cyclical nature of any sort of family dynamic where you're the child and you're learning from your parents, and but your parents are also learning from you. And you don't know as a kid that your parents don't know how to be parents. Do you know what I mean? Like you just assume that they're your parents, but they're, of course, they're going through a whole learning process as well. And then as their own parents start getting older, you then have to start taking care of your own parents while being a parent to your child who's also teaching you things about, you know, so this this real sort of bounce back and forth of who's really teaching who about life here. I think the show really captures that really well. When you were growing up, you were in bands, and, and I read that your father would drive you to shows even when you were underage and not allowed into the venue. Yeah, he did. He did. Did that have any effect on how you portray the respect you have for your own child being an adult? Because your father basically treated you as an adult when you were a teenager. Yeah, it definitely made me think about my own parents, you know, and you start to think, wow, all the things that they really did do for me and my brother and sister you know, in, in a way that I probably hadn't given them enough credit for at the time, you know. Both of them, whatever I was into, they were into it. And they were just kind of trying to push it to help me get as much out of that as, as I could. I think a lot of the time it was, I wasn't particularly good at school. And so I think when I showed a passion for something, it was worth encouraging that because, you know, it was quite clear I wasn't going to go into the sort of academic world. You know? <laughs> Bless him. Yeah, we used to load up the car and we would take all the amps and the mics and the guitars and we would go to these sort of pubs in London to which all of the band were underage. We were all about 16, 15, 16, 17 years old. I remember once a landlord asking my dad in front of me, you know, are these kids old enough to drink in here? Because we were all drinking and all just kind of hanging out in the pub. And the entire crowd were all our mates. So the, the whole pub was just full of underage kids all getting drunk and watching our band. And my dad, bless him, he couldn't quite lie and he couldn't quite tell the truth. So he just, I was 16 at the time and you have to be 18 to drink. And I remember him just getting caught between not knowing what to do. Should he lie and sort of help me out? Or should he tell the truth and show that you should always tell the truth? So he told like a half lie and told him that I was 17, which didn't help at all, which meant I was still underage and I still got kicked out. So. Just, just to soften the lie. <laughs> just a, just a lie. Still alive, but kind of, you know, and I'll never forget that. It was very funny. So on the day that quarantine started, you guys were halfway through a shoot day and suddenly they just called it. Is that what happened? Yeah, we were halfway through a scene. I think we just finished a scene and we were about to start a new one. And me and Brooklyn were kind of on set, ready to go. And then suddenly announcement was made and everybody had to sort of stop what they were doing. And, and we were sort of explain the situation. Was it basically go home, we'll talk to you tomorrow and let you know what we think? Or was it we're done, we don't know? Yeah, it was kind of we're, we're going to take a two week gap for sure. Everyone's just going to reassess, kind of figure out what's going to happen now because nobody really understood what was happening. You know, So everybody mm -hmm. just kind of took two weeks off. 
I remember thinking at the time, what, two weeks? That's ages. Like, that's such a long, like, wow, two weeks off. Yeah. And so it's still in, in sort of limbo, waiting to find out what's going to happen. At this point, is it kind of you're waiting out until it's safe enough to go home to wait out until you can start shooting again? Or are you kind of camped out until shooting starts? Whenever? I think we're going to stay here till shooting starts. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to be stuck anywhere, Vancouver's not a bad place to be. And it feels a lot safer. I mean, London feels like it's in quite a bad place compared to somewhere like Vancouver. You know, the numbers are, are very small here in comparison to London. Plus, I don't have these views in London. <laughs> I can't see for miles in London. I can see to the end of my street. That's about as far as it goes. So for quarantine right now, are you trying to stay busy and still focus on your work? Or is it kind of taking a vacation and just clearing your mind? Yeah, for me, it's been like, let's really take this opportunity to just sort of stop for a minute. And it's nice not having the sort of anxiety of your day-to-day life kind of there waiting for you. And I'm often quite busy, you know, so it's it's been nice that my wife's here and we can just kind of take a bit of time but of course your brain just can't I'm not not good at sort of sitting still and doing not much you know luckily I've got a guitar so I can strum away at that and scribble in my notebook and play ping pong and that's kind of about that's about (laughs) my daily routine what do you think it means though to be an artist at this time when we don't know how long it's going to be until we can basically communicate if the arts are about connection yeah and, and we don't know the next time we're going to really connect in person and not through zoom what is it's true. That? I mean, it is amazing to see what some people are doing and finding ways to be creative and finding ways to connect and making videos and doing home sort of DIY home based stuff. You know, music videos just made at home, or you know, people reading from plays and doing entire plays on Zoom. And there's all kinds of you know crazy stuff sort of happening. But I think creatively, it, it seems like a good time to sort of stop and just kind of reflect and absorb. And for me, just kind of take it all in and then maybe kind of get creative with it when you sort of understand a bit more about what you've just been through. Because taking a break and reflecting is part of being a creative. Yeah, yeah. You just got to try and understand what, what really is happening on a much bigger scale, I think. And then yeah. you can take all that in and then hopefully digest it in some way. So you're not a stranger to the end of the world. The end of the world in hard sun, the end of the world in geostorm. You kind of have experienced the apocalypse a few times. Yeah, yeah. I know it's not the same, but has that mindset of the apocalypse affected you in any way in this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where you feel like you're in, in a movie. And I've said that many times when I've come home and you've just been out there and you've been wandering the streets. I think, you know, you suddenly realize that this isn't a movie and this is definitely very real. And Gerard Butler is nowhere to be seen right now. <laughs> Of course, when you're making something like Hard Sun, you have to think about that stuff a lot and you have to imagine it and you have to picture what a world would look like that was literally about to end, you know. More so with Hard Sun than Geostorm. Geostorm was just, it was a fun, but Geostorm really got me thinking about the planet and climate change. As fun and as sort of blockbuster as the movie is in its sort of genre, it, it does look at that situation in quite an interesting way. And uh, yeah, it definitely forced me to read articles and think about planet and geoengineering, which is something I knew nothing about, which is a real thing, which is scientists manipulating the weather for real. I mean, that's what's really happening in the science world, which is one of the things that is great about acting is that it can throw your brain into places that you wouldn't necessarily normally go as much, you know, and then you do have an armory of sort of thoughts and ideas when something like this 
comes to real life. But it certainly doesn't make me any more equipped. Let's <laughs> just make that clear. <laughs> I'm certainly no expert on any of this stuff. And I was, you know, anxious ridden and as kind of uh, intrigued and saddened and, and all the feelings that everything's coming through. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second dice. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are The beauty of worth. rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcocom slash a moment of your time. So growing up, you've said that basically your three loves were filmmaking, music, and skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do people often try to make you choose which one is your primary who you are? Um, yeah, I guess yes and no. I mean, skateboarding was always just a passion. I was never going to be a professional skateboarder. So <laughs> thank God. Yeah, they've all just informed those three things definitely have just informed who I am and how I view the world. I guess professionally, I just sort of follow whatever path is sort of put in front of me. You know, you try and make some sort of plans and you try and make some big ideas of where your life is going to go. And I learned pretty quickly that that just never works out, well, certainly for me anyway. So if I think I'm going this way, the path ends up taking me that way. So I've sort of enjoyed that and just sort of let that just be what it's going to be. Luckily with music, you know, you don't need a reason in the same way as you do with acting to sort of create music and feel a part of music you know I don't walk around my bedroom on my own sort of quoting lines from films and and doing monologues and duologues of of plays or films or whatever but I do sit in my bedroom and play piano and guitar and write songs and mess around my friends and get in the studio and, and enjoy the sort of creativity of making music so I can do that anyway but acting you kind of need purpose someone needs to give you a job <laughs> to, to to do some acting well not necessarily but for me anyway you know and is it true that when you first got across the universe you thought that was going to be your only film yeah cuz i was playing music a lot at that time i i've been in bands and my life was definitely focused on music at that time and i got the part i'd done some acting and was very interested in acting and had been involved in some plays and short films and independent films but yeah, music was definitely at the forefront of my life at that time. So yeah, I just didn't know, you know, I just assumed I would make the film and then I would go back to living in a basement making music with my mix <laughs> again. No. So I'd love to talk about Across the Universe for a minute. Apparently it was a huge hit in America, which is what I understood, but it wasn't as much of a hit back in the UK. I don't know anyone who's ever seen it in, in the UK. None <laughs> of my friends have ever seen it. Honestly, for whatever reason, it just didn't get released there. It didn't really have a proper release, and it's certainly not a film that anybody knows or talks about. So what was the experience like coming to America and suddenly kind of being a star? I definitely felt for it. There was a period of time where I felt like I had a sort of dual life kind of happening, where I was working quite a lot in America, 
and felt sort of that people had a connection to some of the films I'd done. 21 was another film and Across the Universe and various other things. And then I would definitely come home and I remember just sort of standing in the queue at the supermarket being sort of knocked out of the way and just sort of like going, yeah, hang on, I was on a film set in America like two days ago. Now I'm in like Sainsbury's in a supermarket. But I sort of learned quite quickly to embrace that. Yeah. I would just go home and it would just be life as normal. And it has always been like that for me. I mean, I get recognised occasionally, but at home I'm very much anonymous and live a very, very normal lifestyle back home mm. in England. Yeah, I learned quite quickly. That's quite a blessing, not a curse. Now, you mentioned 21. So that's one of the films that it's... Uh, I, I don't have the count in front of me. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional pun. <laughs> You've done several films that are based in true fact. 21 was based on a real story, and 50 Dead Men Walking was based on a real story, Home Before Dark, yeah. Kidnapping Mr. Heineken. J.T. Leroy, did a movie called J.T. Leroy that was based on, on a real story, yeah. And so is that an easier way to access a story almost because it's happened, or does that pose more of a challenge? No, no I don't think it makes it more of a challenge. It just makes it more... I have to like it first. I have to just be drawn in and be absorbed by the material anyway. And then when you find out that it's all based on fact and really happened, there is a heightened sense of you're portraying something that really went down, you know, and, and that is really exciting. It can be a blessing and a curse and you can meet the person that you're supposed to be playing and it can throw you off, actually. And, you know, they have an often very singular perception of what really happened. They have their own thoughts and ideas of what happened, which may or may not be a good thing, but you have to listen to it and you have to absorb it and sort of take it in. And sometimes you can work with somebody and they can be like Matt in Home Before Dark, just so giving with their energy and their time and so unbelievably loose with letting someone be them on screen. I think, I think if someone was playing my life on screen, I'd be on set kind of like, I never wore those trainers. <laughs> I never would, I never ever wore brown pants. You know what I mean? I, I just wouldn't be able to take it. It would be too much for me. But it's amazing that some people can just really sit back and just go, you do your thing. Yeah. You're representing us. And Matt's been so amazing. He's written me letters and he's written me emails saying thank you and we're really loving the show and I'm so happy that you kind of came on board and help portray our family. So it's been great like that. But it's not always like that. So if someone were to portray your life, who would you cast as yourself? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even begin. I wouldn't know. And I probably wouldn't be happy with them either. I'd be like, I'll have to do this myself. <laughs> Jim, you can't play a 15-year-old. I can. I'll play a 15-year-old version of myself. So you said you kind of followed the path wherever it led, but you weren't planning on it. Did you ever get any formal training in acting or in music or in any of your creative endeavors? No, never. Not really. I went, well, this is the thing. I went to Manchester, which is a northern town in England. And I really went there because a lot of the music that I was interested in came from that town specifically around the sort of late 80s, early 90s. So I sort of thought, right, I'm going to just go there and see if I can start a band and I'll do this course. But really my focus was on sort of getting some people together to make some music. And then I sort of fell in. I really sort of got a lot out of the course I'd kind of joined up to do. And it was kind of a course that was for people that didn't know what they wanted to do, really. It was sort of, you did a bit of everything. And it was a two-year course. It wasn't a degree. It was just two years. And you did a bit of script writing. You did a bit of boom operating. You did a bit of radio, whatever, behind the scenes or in front of the mic. Or you did a bit of theatre production. And you just sort of learn a bit about media and entertainment world. In some of those courses, I took like an acting, TV acting class. 
we did some theatre production stuff. It was mainly kind of theatre around that time, and that was what was sort of getting me hooked into acting, was we were all putting on our own plays and helping each other with our own short films. And it was actually like a really amazing time and a really prolific time. And I made a lot of stuff when I was there. I wrote quite a lot, and I wrote a play when I was there, and I made some short films, and that's what really kind of... Then I was like, right, I'm, I'm into this now you know forget music I'm this is really interesting to me and I was watching loads of amazing cinema that I'd not been exposed to before when you're that age and you're so impressionable and you're watching all these amazing directors and all these actors and I was learning about all these British actors and these British filmmakers I was sort of hooked into the world of sort of cinema and performance and acting and then I got asked if I wanted to meet an agent in London through the play that I'd written when I was in Manchester I put on the show for like three performances or something and an actor saw me in the show and then recommended me to an agent in London so I moved back to London to try and sort of make it as an actor and ended up falling into a band so then I <laughs> you know and I did some work and I was sort of doing some acting work here and there and I was working in a shop that sells sneakers tra- we call them trainers in the UK but yeah sneakers and I, I fell in with a group of musicians who had seen a short film that I'd made and one of the musicians was like would you make me a music video because yeah we really like the short film that you made and I was like, yeah, of course, let's let's try and make a music video together. So we started hanging out loads and I was making this film with my video camera and my editing kit. And then slowly we started making music together. And then before I knew it, I was in a band again. And music was once again sort of at the forefront of my life. Then it was really that. Like, the band was sort of the main focus of all of our lives for that period, for a good four years, four or five years. And then it sort of all slowly imploded. God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's when Across the Universe came at that time. And then suddenly I was back in this filming world and it really felt like a point in my life where sort of the two worlds collided. Yeah. And it sort of felt like it was meant to be, you know, that I'd done so much work in the music world and so much work in the acting world that when that film came along, it felt kind of right. Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of ran with it after that. But so Across the Universe was your first big project So it was really a learn-as-you-go experience then. Definitely. Yeah, it was weird because I was really confident. I was kind of glad it was a musical in a weird way. I think if it had just been an acting gig on that level, I would have been way more nervous. But weirdly, just sort of singing, we did loads of rehearsals for that project. Julie kind of just workshop the film it was like being in a theater production and then we turned it into a film almost you know so we just had all these Beatles songs and Julie Tamer's kind of imagination and we just went into her brain every day and just kind of existed in her sort of wild imagination and all kind of created this film you've worked with such heavy hitter actors in everything you've done what kind of lessons have you learned from the people you were playing across and then are you passing those on to the young actors that you're working with now I mean, it's all subconscious stuff. You know, no actor really ever sat me down and said, here's a bit of advice for you. People just don't feel in a position to kind of do that. And I feel exactly the same with the young, younger people that I'm working with. You know, it just it feels a bit off to just sort of sit somebody down and feed them some advice to which I wouldn't even know where to begin. But, you know, I think, like you said, just being around actors and just seeing them work and having a sort of front row seat to their performances and seeing the different ways that people work is really interesting. You know, someone like Anthony Hopkins that I worked with, was it was just amazing to sort of sit and watch him work mm-hmm. and how different he is to somebody 
like Ed Harris, you know, but two heavyweight, brilliant, timeless actors. So you sort of just learn from absorbing whatever is sort of around you rather than, and you're not even sure you're learning it at the time, I don't think. But I think, you know, it definitely all goes in there and plays into your own perception of the industry and, and the experience of acting. So what did you learn from Anthony Hopkins versus Ed Harris? Anthony Hopkins isn't afraid to just kind of keep going. I think he understands that he can just play and just throw anything out there. He had a long speech. I remember it was a scene. I was kidnapping him at the time. So I had a balaclava on and I couldn't speak. So he had to do all the talking and I just sat in the corner of the room. It was like the Anthony Hopkins one-person show. And um, he would just keep doing it and keep going and go round and round and round and make mistakes and try different things do something totally wild in that tape, do something. And he would stop in between takes too and just sort of make sure that he'd gotten the bits and he'd, he'd sort of played around with it enough before allowing the giant machine that is a film crew, which can often sort of dictate what's happening. He was sort of in control of the moment between action and cut and he could stop whenever he felt like he needed to. He would go back, he would fix things, he would throw new things out there. And then they would shout cut and he'd be like, right, I got everything (laughs) to get out done. And I was like, wow, that takes a lot of experience to have that confidence to be able to do that. You know, you're often, like I said, you know, you're sort of someone shouts action. You have that moment. That's your moment. That's really for the actors. Nothing should interrupt that. And then cut. And then this giant machine that is the crew and the, the production then takes over and you're sort of left with your moment. And you have to make sure that that moment counts and, and that you feel good about it before the machine kind of takes over. I think you said in, in 50 Dead Men Walking, it was the first time you felt like a real actor. Yeah, it was a film where we were encouraged to go a little deeper and you know really immerse ourselves in the, in the characters we were playing and in the world that we were sort of inhabiting. So, yeah, it was a film set in 1980s Belfast and you know we moved out there before production started and worked on integrating ourselves within the community and you know we put on fake Belfast accents and stuck with those and we're encouraged to do that and it takes quite a lot of courage to do that actually you know to stay with it and to, to really force yourself to keep in the voice because the voice ultimately completely changes who you are as a person when you change your voice all the nuances of your own voice get thrown to one side and you have to create new ones to create a personality so we joined a sort of boxing gym in a very sort of rough area of where we were shooting and people didn't know that we were not from the local area. It was really exciting and I got a huge amount from it as an actor and I sort of thought, okay, this is acting. This is like, this is the real deal. It's a sort of a, a level deeper to kind of really, 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 really go there. And we did for that film and it worked for that film. I then realised it, it doesn't work for every film. You know, you have to sort of be a team player and it worked because we were all encouraged and we were all nurtured to sort of be in that headspace. You know, I then tried to do it for another film where the other actors weren't doing that and it was a much more of an ensemble piece and I was sort of staying in some foreign accent and nobody else was and I felt very alienated actually and I realised that it it only works if the project is going to help you go there. Have any of your characters had an effect on who you are as a person? Yeah, I mean, they do and they do, you know, they do because you spend so much time inhabiting the world that they live in and learning about it and so of course it informs my own brain about new things and 
and emotions and situations that you get a glimpse at or you get some idea of what that might have felt like. Of course, it's always an artificial environment because it's a film set, but, you know, they can make it feel pretty real and create worlds for you to sort of exist in. So, yeah, I feel like I've learned so much from being an actor. I think it's why I love doing it because I didn't learn much at school. I get a lot of my learning at a later age in life through being an actor and and researching characters and, and roles. So it definitely, definitely stays with you. Then at the same time, it's quite a weird concept of time. Like you'll make a film and you'll be working on a film for four months sometimes. And then it finishes and everybody goes home and you're back in England and you're in the pub and, and it felt like a dream, you know, and you felt like, did that even happen? So it's quite weird. And then you're back in real life and this thing that you were so invested in and the people that you were with were just absolutely your family for that period of time. It felt like this sort of magical dream that you had. It's like whiplash. Just like whiplash, yeah. Has there been a moment on set in your career where in the moment you realize like, oh, this is this is it. I am an actor. This is what I'm doing. I love this. Is there like a scene or a shoot you could point to that you had a moment like that? Yeah, I think I try and have a moment like that every film that I, that I make. You try and just sort of just absorb it and just go like, wow, I am actually face to face with Tom Hanks right now. <laughs> and I'm looking up his nose while he's doing some scene and whatever and... You know, I did a scene with Johnny Depp in a movie. We did a big sort of 15-minute improvisation scene that he requested. And I sort of had to go head-to-head, toe-to-toe with Johnny Depp while he's improvising. And that, you know, just little moments like that, you just think, yeah, this is what you signed up for. This is really exciting, you know. And I'm always starstruck. Like, I'm such a fan of films that I always get really overwhelmed when I meet other actors. And I still, to this day, I'm still like that. When I work with somebody and if I've been watching them in films and I try and watch as many films as I can, and then you're a fan of their work when you meet them you're always like oh shit you know there they are so do you get nervous yeah i get really nervous yeah i do get nervous how do you deal with that because the camera will pick that up yeah i don't i get nervous meeting people so it's normally sort of read-throughs and rehearsals once you're on set i find it all kind of goes away and then and the work kind of takes over Mm. and if you're sort of prepared I get more interested in the work than I am nervous. Once the barriers are all broken down and you start to work, it becomes a sort of even playing field. But it's more, you know, when I meet that person for the first time in the production office or I know I'm going to the read-through and I'm going to be doing a read-through with whoever. If you could reprise one of your characters, who would it be? Oh, God, I don't know. It'd be fun to go back to Vegas, see what those characters are up to 10, you know, 15 years later. What was that like shooting 21, getting to go live basically the high life of shooting a movie? You got to do all the glitz and the glam in the, uh, I don't want to say stereotypical, but in in the classic Vegas type movie. Yeah, the stereotypical, like, yeah, yeah, all out. It was nuts. It was crazy. It was a group, you know, we were all young and we were all overexcited and we, I'd never been to Vegas before. I didn't know what to expect. It kind of blew my mind and we all got way, way overexcited and we all went crazy way too soon. <laughs> we all burnt ourselves out and then we were all knackered shooting the rest of the film. But um, it was wild. I remember we were sort of living in the casino that we were filming in and we sort of never, I remember not even leaving to go outside for like five days. Like I hadn't even been outside in sort of fresh air for five days because it's a really manipulative place you know mm-hmm. they make it like a maze and you kind of get lost and there's no windows there's no clocks and nothing's quite real you know because I mean yeah you can only really go to Vegas for like a week at the most I mean we were there for like over a month and we all started going crazy I think I remember we used to go to a particular pub 
in the New York, New York casino because it had an Irish bar in there. And it almost, if you sort of angled your body in a particular way, you could almost believe you were in a real sort of Irish pub. And we would order like a Guinness and just sit in the corner and just sort of dream of being in reality, you know. But then you can hear all the machines in the background, you know, in the background. So, yeah, we were all really grateful to go to Boston after we'd been filming in, in Vegas for that amount of time. But I saw some things that my young English brain had, had never quite seen before, you know. In that movie, as many movies, you've joked that you get beat up in almost everything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has there ever been a fight choreography mistake? Have you ever actually gotten injured in anything? Because you do so many fight scenes. Yeah, all the time. I get hurt all the time. It's just never ending. It's just like, right, we're going to do a fight scene. I'm like, oh, my God. I used to really enjoy him as well. I used to really dive in there and like really go for it. But I've had dislocated shoulders. I've cracked my collarbone in hard sun. Agnes, the actress that I was working with, with a sort of fake knuckle duster, just cracked my nose. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, it's, they look so great on camera, but they can be so hairy to kind of shoot in, in real life, you know. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people get, get hurt, you know. I don't look forward to them as much as I used to, yeah. What happens then when you get injured on set? So if Agnes cracked your nose, were you in the middle of a shoot and had to keep going? Or do you call it for the day? Yeah, they, they called it. They shut the scene down. So we were on a beach in London and we just mistimed it, you know, and she just kind of connected with my nose. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but there was sort of blood everywhere and we had to stop the day's filming and I got sent home and everybody panics. You know, because... Broke the star of the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not, that's not great. We've got a long way to go. So, yeah, I think we stopped for the day and I went to hospital. They checked it out. It was just bruised. They put a load of makeup on it. They did a load of, you know, visual effects to sort of smooth it over a bit. And then you're back to work the next day. Oy. But, yeah, I did a film called Upside Down in uh, Montreal. And I, and I really, really messed my shoulder up. And that was so great. That one, they had like a full room flipping because yeah. the worlds were right on top of each other. So you actually had to flip over to change worlds. Yeah. And they had a flipping room? Yeah, it was a it's called a gimbal and it's on a kind of wheel. Anyway, the room turns upside down and you sort of stay. It's the same trick that they use for sort of Fred Astaire, I think it was, when he was dancing on the ceilings. And it's amazing. We worked so hard on this shot, this one shot, and it was all done in real time and it was a real thing. And then when you watch it in the film, you just think it's CGI or something. Heartbroken. Nobody was sort of wowed by this one scene. You know, I flipped upside down for that, right? Is that how you got injured then with your shoulder? I mean, I did land on my head a couple of times when we were doing that, but that wasn't when I dislocated my shoulder. Yeah, it was a stunt. We were doing a stunt with a stunt guy. Yeah, it all went a bit wrong. I got a bit overexcited, I think. Knowing that you take things as they come and and you don't plan too far ahead, do you have a dream-type role that you would hope comes to you one day? I really don't. I get asked that question quite a lot, and it's I I just don't. I just don't have any concept of what's going to come next, and I'm always surprised when the job becomes what it becomes, you know. And I love the period of just sort of not knowing and your antennas are up and you kind of let the world come to you and and tell you what it's going to be, you know. So I really don't. I wouldn't even know where to begin of like, oh, I want to play this kind of character. I want to do this sort of thing. You know, I love that like one minute. I remember shooting a film called The Way Back and I was trekking across landscapes and playing a prisoner who was just on the edge of staying alive. And we had sort of brown teeth and long beards and we'd all lost loads of weight and we're all covered in grime and dirt and our fingernails were all, you know, we're all sort of starving to death. 
And then I finished the film and then I think it was a month or so later I was playing a character called Dexter in a film called One Day and I was standing in front of a mirror wearing a pair of sort of leather trousers and giant shoulder pads and a long floppy and I couldn't have looked further from the person I'd just been, you know, only a month or so ago. So I love that, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the sort of thrill of being an actor. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but I know that you have a life to get to. Kind but, of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> in my life, yeah. I really love Home Before Dark. I highly recommend everybody watches it on Apple TV+. Plus. I am very excited to know that you guys are shooting the second season because I can't yeah. wait to find out what happens. I hope that you get back to it soon. Until then, is there anything else you want to say to everybody who's stuck in quarantine? Yeah, just keep going. You know, it's 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 a definitely a very interesting period of time in history. And, you know, we're all a part of it. So just take some strength from that, I think. Jim Sturgis, thank you very much for joining us today. This has thank been you. absolutely yeah, thank lovely. You. This yeah. must be great for you talking to people on lockdown. Everyone's desperate to talk. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> has to talk to somebody. <laughs> Let it all out. Let it all out. Thank you very much. And right, I really appreciate you. you talking to Thanks, us. Thanks, Jenny. Hollywood Unscripted was created by Kurt Co. Media. This special episode of the Stuck at Home series was hosted by me, Jenny Curtis, with guest, Jim Sturgis. Mastering by Michael Kennedy. The executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any special episodes of Hollywood Unscripted Stuck at Home. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind. <laughs>